Acts chapter 1, I said this morning I was going to be preaching on preparing your heart for surrender, preparing your heart for surrender. And that's really what revival is, is when we surrender our hearts to God. In Acts chapter 1, and I I just want to let you know, I've I've been donated $2 here to get amens. So, uh, so, uh, anybody want to give me an amen? Yeah, that's what I figured. That's how spiritual you are. So, uh. Say, so what are you going to do with that $2? I'm probably going to buy myself a milkshake. So, now In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of, uh, called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Then if you look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you see it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there, there they were all with one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. You know, the, as we begin and as we're looking at this, uh, this opportunity that God has blessed us with to, to have a man come and to preach on intercessory prayer and to, to come uh, to, honestly, to challenge us, and I believe God is... I, I believe that Brother Beckham is already praying for us because I've sensed it in my prayers. And I, I know that sounds a little bit weird, but, but, uh, but hopefully maybe after next week you'll understand that. But, the, uh, but, I, but I have. I, I, I just I, I felt impressed that he has been praying for us, even in my spirit, about my prayers. And so um, just, to, just to let you know, re- revival is not a meeting. It's not a meeting time. Revival is something that happens to an individual's heart. If many individuals' hearts are revived, then a revival takes place in a group or a church. But it begins in an individual's heart. And, and these individuals that we just read about, they all came together with the same heart. And when they came in one accord, and it says they were one, it doesn't mean that they just agreed, but they had the same heart for God. Something had happened to them. They, they had seen so much. They had experienced so much. And now the, the risen Savior had come to them and now even uh, 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 been taken up to heaven. And, and here they are, and they gathered together. And it wasn't just so, hey, let's just agree in prayer. No, their heartbeat, their, their desire was for God. And they were in one accord in that desire. I want to pray. Father, I pray that you bless tonight. Holy Spirit of God, I need you. And, and Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that Satan be bound tonight from this place and that Spirit of God, that you would flow, flow freely through this place. And, and Lord, that you would wrap your arms around this place as a mighty hedge of protection. Dear God, we need your presence. We need your power. We need you to, to, to come uh, amongst us. And, and dear God, speak through me, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Every great revival of history uh, in the history of America has taken place through prayer. As you go and you study the revivals of America, well, I mean, where major revivals took place, where a nation was transformed, you'll find that the root of every one of those didn't begin because a great preacher showed up. It didn't begin because a man uh, of great intellect or a great a Bible teacher showed up. Uh, the, the, what happened was, was some simple men had the same heart and one man started and he desired God and another man came and said, I desire God and something happened. Amen. I had a, uh, the ministry that I directed up in, at Great Lakes Naval uh, Base and there was lots of battles there. And we were in an intense battle at one point. Where, and you say, what, what kind of battles? Well, in the, the military, a lot of times they just do not want religion on the base at all. And, and so they call it solicitation if you invite somebody to church and and so, of course, by definition, it's not solicitation, but you'll find on a military base that whoever the commandant is of the military base, they make the law on the base. And so, uh, you know, we were in a battle, and uh, they did not want us to come there and present the gospel anymore. They didn't want us to come invite people to church anymore. And so I, w- I started uh, and went 14 nights where I'd go for two or three hours a night. Uh, and, uh, and I would go out and walk, and, and there was a mound of dirt behind my house, this little park back then, and I would lay on that mound of dirt for a long time and pray. And one night, I just began to pour out my heart and say, Dear God, I just been to weep and said, Lord, would you let somebody pray with me? Would you let somebody have this heart that I had, this desire to see you do something and open up the base to us? And one night, I was, I was there, and and, uh, and I was out on that mountain, and it was several nights, probably a week into it when I prayed that prayer. And as I got through it, the conclusion of that prayer, uh, headlights came up in that park. And, of course, the park was dark, and everybody was gone. And these headlights came, and they, and they were shining, and they stayed on. And, and, but, I, but I could see somebody walking, a shadow almost walking toward me, but I was looking right back at the lights. And as they came toward me, I thought maybe as a police officer wondering why I was out here. You know, I'm wondering if some drunk is laying on a on a mound of dirt out here. And, and as he walked toward me, got closer to me, I heard a voice say, Brother Hooker. And I recognized the voice immediately as a boy that worked with me in the military ministry. And, and I said, yeah, Anthony. And he said, Brother Hooker, I was praying. I just felt like God wanted me to come pray with you. Do you understand? God touches the hearts of people. In 1776 or 1781, there was a moral slump. You know, we think this is the only time America's been wicked. I was reading, it says this, there was a moral slump. Drunkenness became epidemic. Out of a population of 5,300,000 were confirmed drunkards. They were burying 15,000 of them each year. Profanity was obscene and it was the norm of the language. For the first time in history of American settlement, women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. Sound like America? Bank robberies were a daily occurrence. The churches of America were in decline. They were dropping in their attendance. The Chief Justice of the United States, John Marshall, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, James Madison, that the church was too far gone ever to be redeemed. Boy, was he mistaken. And, and it, it says this, it says, And Voltaire and Tom Payne, Thomas Paine said Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. 
A poll taken at Harvard had discovered not one believer in the whole student body. They took a poll at Princeton, a much more evangelical place, where they discovered only two believers in the student body. Students rioted. They held a mock communion at Williams College. They put on an anti-Christian play, play, plays at Dartmouth. They burned down the Nassau Hall at Princeton. They forced the resignation of the president of Harvard. Does this sound like today? And, it, it, and it, they took a Bible out of the local Presbyterian church in New Jersey and they burned it in a public bonfire. Christians were so few on campus in the 1790s that they met in secret like a communist cell and kept their minutes in code so no, no one would know. Can you all believe that? That's America when America was birthed. How did the situation change? There was a Scottish Presbyterian minister in Edinburgh named John Erskine who published a booklet pleading with the people of Scotland and everywhere else to unite in prayer for, the revival, for revival. He sent one copy of this little book to Jonathan Edwards in New England. The great theologian was so moved, he wrote a response which grew longer than a letter and transformed and brought revival to America. He published this little booklet a humble, called A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visit union of all God's people and extraordinary prayer. Man, it took him a book to write the title. But God brought revival in America, 1792 to 1800. There's a, a pastor named McGreedy, a Scottish-Irish minister settled in Logan County, pastor of three little churches. He wrote in his diary that the winter of 1799 for the most part, was weeping and mourning with the people of God. Lawlessness prevailed everywhere. McGreedy was such a man of prayer that not only did he promote everyone to pray every first Monday of the month, but he got his people to pray for him at sunset on Saturday evening and sunrise on Sunday morning. Then in the summer of 1800 came the Great Kentucky Revival. You know when it started? The Great Kentucky Revival came out of these people praying. And that's what I'm going to ask y'all. Start praying for me every Saturday night and every Sunday morning at sunrise. Right. I can't even get you here to church on time. Then. Out of that second great awakening came the whole, listen to this, out of that second great awakening came the whole modern missionary movement out of that second great awakening came the beginning of the abolition of, of slavery. It, it created education, Bible societies, and Sunday schools. 1858 to 1860, it was time that America needed another revival. The country was so seriously divided over the issue of slavery, and, and, and second, people were making money like never before. Wealth was so prominent at this time in America. In September 1857, a man of prayer, Jeremiah Lampier, started a businessman's prayer meeting in the upper room of, of the Dutch Reformed Church building in Manhattan. In response to his advertisement, only six people out of the population of a million showed up. But the following week, there were 14 and then there were 23, and when those 23 decided to meet every day for prayer, by late winter they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church, then the Methodist Church on John Street, then Trinity Episcopal Church on Broadway at Wall Street. In February and March of 1858, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled with men and women praying. 
Horace Greeley, the famous editor, sent a reporter with horse and buggy racing around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings, and he counted 6,100 men attending. Then a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed to the churches in the evenings, and people began to be converted 10,000 a week in New York City alone. Not from the preaching, from prayer. The power of God moving through a people. It said that so many, the, the Baptist ranks, so many were getting saved that they had to go cut a hole in the ice to baptize people in the cold water. That's why we don't heat our water. <laughs> Finally, that revival reached a young man, a shoe salesman, and y'all know this story, a super, and he went to the superintendent of the Plymouth Congregational Church and asked if he might teach Sunday school the superintendent had no place for him, so the, man, the young man went off into the streets and took young boys out into the country and taught them the Bible verses and Bible games. Then he took them to Plymouth Congregational Church. The, the, this young man's name was Dwight Lyman Moody. And he began a ministry that lasted 40 years. More than a million people were converted to God out of a population of 30 million. That revival jumped all the way across the continents. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Hey, Dr. A.T. Pearson once said, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. He said, let me recount what God has done through concerted, united, sustained prayer. And he goes on to tell much more after that. But in 1904, and I'm about done with these, 1904 to 1905, at the turn of the century, there was a need for awakening again. A general movement of prayer began in the special prayer meetings at Moody Bible Institute, at Keswick Conventions in England, and places as far apart as Melbourne, Wonsan, <coughs> Korea, and, and in uh, the hills of India. So all around the world, believers were praying that there might be another great awakening in the 20th century. And it became the revival of 1905. It was reported at Yale in 1905, 25% of the student body were, were enrolled in prayer meetings and Bible study. As far as churches were concerned, the ministers of Atlantic City reported uh, of, listen, this is incredible, a, 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 The ministers of Atlantic City reported that of a population of 50,000, there were only 50 adults left unconverted. You see, we, we get so discouraged because we think it can't be done. Well, can I tell you? We can't do it. But you get a hold to God, and He can do anything. Take Portland, Port. In Oregon, two, in Oregon, 240 major stores, in Portland, Oregon, 200 major, 40 major stores closed from 11 to 2 each day to enable people to attend prayer meetings. Can you imagine that, stores closing from 11 to 2 so people could go to prayer meetings? First Baptist Church of Paducah in, in Kentucky, the pastor, an old man, Dr. J.J. Cheek, took a 1,000 members in in two months, and he died of overwork. It was so much on him. But listen, you say, well, that's sad. What's well, not sad. God was doing something. What a way to go out. How did it begin? How did all this happen? In 1905, 
There was a former coal miner named Evan Roberts, age 26, was studying for the ministry, and he heard a man, Seth Josiah, and this man in a, a public meeting prayed publicly, Oh God, bend us. Evan Roberts went forward where he prayed with great agony, Oh God, bend me. You know what he's really saying? We get so stiff-backed, so set in what we want and the way we want, that, that God, he's just saying, God, mold me. Bend me to your will. Great crowds of people were drawn to hear Evan Roberts preach. The main road from one location, it wouldn't mean anything to you, on which the church that he's preaching was situated was packed with people trying to get into the church. Shopkeepers closed early to find a place in, in the church. People turned from sin, listen to this, in such a way that police were being let go from their jobs. They said, they're literally, they asked the police officer, the chief of police, said, what do you do now? He said, we used to go and, and arrest people for the crimes committed and try to stop crimes. And he said, we would go for crowd control and different things. He said, now our job is simply to follow the crowd. And the, and the, and the interviewer said, and where's the crowd going? He said, man, don't you know? To church. He said, we just go to church. They said, why do you go to church? He said, listen, we have two quartets just out of our police officers. As always, it began through a movement of prayer. It began with a man who prayed, God, bend me, which touched the heart of a young man who prayed, God, bend me. In America, one survey has shown that pastors, and this is not a you, is that people in me and others, that pastors on the average pray 22 minutes a day. In, in mainland churches, mainline churches, it is less than that. In Japan, they pray 44 minutes a day. Korea, they pray, pray 90 minutes a day. And in China, they pray 120 minutes a day. That's the average. It's not surprising that the growth rate of churches in those countries is directly proportionate, uh, proportional to the amount of time pastors are spending in prayer. You say, are they really growing? China has more, uh, more Christians in China than we have in America. They're growing. Uh, Korea has had an explosion that's gone through Christianity in, in, in Korea. Growth uh, uh, is, is a supernatural process. Everything about the church that is real and lasting happens through prayer and the power of God. And the power of God comes through prayer. The church is God's creation with Jesus Christ as its head. From him flows all power. We have responsibility to cooperate with God. We know, and I've got verses of all this, but I'm not taking time. We know that, that unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain that builds it. We, the, trans, the transfer of soul from the kingdom of the darkness to that of the light is a spiritual, supernatural process. You find in Colossians 1.14, it's the Father who draws us. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit who also strengthens and empowers us. It's the Spirit of God that guides us. God says it's all about Him. It's not about us. So we got to get to Him. The degree to which we are convinced, listen to this, please listen to this statement, the degree to which we are convinced that all real growth is ultimately a supernatural process will be the degree to which we are prepared to act upon that belief. 
is only when we begin to see that nothing, that nothing that matters will occur except in the answer to prayer, that prayer will become more than an optional program. Nothing matters, nothing that really matters comes to us anyway but by prayer. It needs to be the driving force of our churches. Obviously, God wants His people to recognize that only He can do extraordinary things. When we accept the simple premise, we begin to pray. And I want to remind you, and some of you remember this, but this is why when I came here, one of the first questions that was asked me was, would I, consider, would I be considering moving this church? And I'd already prayed about it before y'all had ever asked me to candidate. I'd been driving all through here, and, and, and God had clearly told me that somebody needed to stay. And what I said was this. We're going to pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers. Now, I just want you all to do this for me, but if you don't mind, if you've moved in here and come here since, since God brought us here, would you stand up right now? Y'all came, huh? Yeah. See, they don't understand that I'm praying that they're not leaving. Now, folks, do you think maybe God is able? And can I just tell you, virtually everybody in here that's come is involved in Sunday school, in junior church, in bus routes, in the choir, somewhere, somehow, they're involved. Because God is the Lord of the harvest, and we prayed. Thank you. Thank you. You see, I believe there are no bad areas. They're just hurting people. There are no hard areas or impossible areas, for it's the Lord that builds the house. He can do all things. If we get out of the way and pray, He can do whatever He wants to do. Pray for power and wisdom and courage and strength, and God will work. In the Old Testament, not counting Psalms, there are 77 with the term explicit references to prayer. But in the New Testament, there are 94 references which, which relate directly to Jesus and prayer. 94 times. Do you think that maybe prayer was important to Jesus? Amen. Again, Evans Roberts, uh, while reflecting on the problems of the Welsh revival of 1904, once wrote, the mistake was to become occupied with the effects of the revival and not to watch and pray in protecting the cause of the revival. And folks, you understand what he's saying? Look, it's, you have revival because you're seeking God. It's not about, oh, what's God going to do? No, God does whatever he wants to. We just have to have a heart to seek him. Here's what Evan Roberts said, and I think it's a good little outline. He said, firstly, if there are sins or sins in the, in, in, in the past not confessed, we cannot have the Spirit of God. Therefore, we must search and ask the Spirit to search us. 
Have you ever stopped and asked the Spirit of God to search you? Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Ask the Spirit of God, search me for sin. He went on secondly to say if there's something doubtful, and this is amazing, something doubtful in your life, it must be removed. Say, wow, you know, he didn't say sin, he said doubtful. Can I tell you, if in doubt, don't. If God, if there's a bit of doubt in your heart about whether something's right or wrong, here's the way we've done it in this generation. If we feel like it's in doubt whether it's right or wrong, then it's okay to do it. But let me help you. If it's in doubt whether it's right or wrong, you're always better not to do it. You say, well, what, what, what do I do? Do what you know is right. If it's in doubt, it's just better. Well, I might miss something. Yeah, you might miss some sin. You might miss some pain. You might miss some heartache. Thirdly, he said there must be total surrender to the Spirit of God. Folks, I beg you, we must let God have His way in our lives. That means to total surrender means do all that He asks. Fourthly, Robert said there must be among God's people public confession of Christ. So the past must be, uh, may be made clear of sin by, by confession to God and every wrong to man put right. Every, number two, every doubtful thing in life must be put away. Number three, there must be prompt obedience to the Holy Spirit. Number four, there must be public confession of Christ. One man put it this way, he said, Our essential trouble is that we are content with a very superficial and preliminary knowledge of God. We spend our lives in, in busy activism. The inevitable and constant preliminary uh, to revival has always been a thirst for God. A thirst, a living thirst for knowledge of the living God. And a longing and a burning desire to see Him acting, manifesting Himself and His power rising and scattering His enemies. No greater passage tells us of the unity of believers in prayer and the great result of when we saw the initial there passage in Acts, and we saw from that unity in prayer, you see 3,000 are going to be added to the church. 3,000 plus are going to be saved. But I'm going to conclude with this. There's no greater passage than one we've, we've talked about before and will many times again, but Second Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. There's no greater passage that gives us procedure for preparing our hearts for surrender to prayer. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And we hardly ever read verse 15. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. God says, when you do this, now mine eyes. Eyes shall be open, my ears shall be attent unto the prayer that you make. And what's this outline? My people, saved people, 
child of God, born again in Jesus Christ. Who are called by my name, Christians, in every form of life. Christians by name, but more than name, but in their way of living. Humble themselves. God desires a broken and contrite spirit yielded to his will, not ours. It's when we say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. When we break our will and say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Pray. Communication with, with the holy God in agreement with his will. He says, when you humble yourself, now you can begin to pray. But here's what's so key to it, and here's what I beg you to do tonight, this whole week. Seek my face. He said, if you'll humble yourselves and pray, and that's where most all, we always stop. The world always stops there. That we need to humble ourselves and pray. But no, he says, and seek my face. Desire to know him. You can only recognize someone that you've seen. You understand? He said to seek my face. Anybody you've ever met someone and, and you, you briefly saw them? Oh, I'll give you the example. I think just recently, Brooke, you were someplace and somebody thought you were Candace, right? Or thought you were Heather. It was Heather? And, uh, and, and Brooke very kindly and very honestly let them know that she was not Heather. Heather was up at First Baptist up in Indiana, and she was there at church, and somebody, and Candace had just gotten engaged, and so somebody walked up to her and said, oh, I heard about your engagement. I've got to see your ring. So Heather just said, okay. <laughs> She'd been married about two, three years, you know. She said, okay. She said, oh, it's so beautiful. I know you'll be so happy. And she said, oh, we will be. And so but that's Heather. She didn't let her know at all. She just kept on playing Candace. But you know, if you, you, when I, I know them, so the, it's, I don't ever mistaken Heather for Candace or Brooke for Candace or Heather. I don't do that. But if you don't know them very well, if you don't know their face very well, you'll mistaken them. You'll think it's somebody else. God says, Desire to know me. Desire to know when I'm speaking. Desire to know when I'm present. And I just believe that when we seek God, then turning from our wicked ways is just a natural process that God says it's got to happen. If you seek the face of God, then you're going to see, when you see the perfection of God, then all of a sudden you're going to see the imperfection of self. When we seek and see God, we see ourselves and our sin. When we see our sin, we must turn from our sin. Every great revival has come through seeking God and uniting in prayer for his presence, his power, his will, and his way. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. And I just wanted to preach, and I'd like for us to start to prepare our hearts right now that we would desire, and that would be the plea and the desire of Calvary Baptist Church, corporately and individually, that we would know him.
that we would desire him. That God would work in our hearts that I'll be honest with you. He's already started churning my heart. That's why I know Brother Beckham must be praying because he's already started churning my heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful that when he, Brother Beckham, stood up to preach, that he walked into a place where the Spirit of God was already churning? Now, I've asked you, and I gave everybody, and I think most everybody here have my number. But all this week, before we have a revival, all the way till Sunday, next Sunday, I'm, I'm going to be, and Mike and I have already agreed, we're just going to drive up here to the church and, and pray and walk the property and pray. But I'm not asking you, because you, so many people, so much distance, but if you would agree to pray with us at 6 a.m., that you just simply text me, just for my heart, that you would text and say, I'm in. And I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, from this point on, I'll have to text you and let them know what, the, what I want you to pray about that day. But tomorrow morning, I'm going to ask you to pray that God would take away any hindrance to, to spiritual revival of God coming in power that God would remove any hindrance. So please, that's what we'll pray tomorrow. And, and, and don't feel like you, you look, I, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that, that your heart's burning and you want to pray with. I almost, I wish I, I almost wish I hadn't. I, I started not to even tell you that we'd be up here tomorrow. But I just ask you, just, just text me, let me know. And I'll do my best to respond back to everybody. But I truly believe God's doing something. I really do. I believe the fact that God has brought Mike here to help us and, and we're, God has worked in his life and, and their ministry for these, these years in, in spiritual warfare, praying and, and counseling. And then for Brother Beckham to be able to come here at this time I'll be honest with you, we got a missions conference coming up in November, and I believe God's going to do something so great with us that, that it's almost like the missions conference, we'll just walk in and it's done because we'll be ready to do what God wants us to do. I believe, I wish you could stand up here and see from where I came here just a year and a half ago, what God has did tonight. And let me promise you, it's not me. I tried my best to talk you out of me. Because I, I still don't know what I'm doing. But I know God does. So I'm just seeking Him and asking Him to pour out His Spirit. To send forth labors. To make a difference in life. Father, I pray that you'd bless here tonight. 